John Decker, our own White House correspondent, followed by Senator Lou D'Alessandro. John, good morning. What a week it was, politically speaking, uh, both in Washington and beyond. Well, that's correct. Uh, Yesterday I was with President Biden, uh, traveling with him on Air Force One down to Brownsville, Texas. Uh, The focus, border security, uh, and 325 miles away from where President Biden uh, and the press corps that traveled with him were was former President Donald Trump. He was in Eagle Pass, Texas, uh, and other uh, very, very major area as it relates to uh, the number of migrants coming to the U.S.-Mexico border. You had that story taking place yesterday, a lot of legal news in the news. This week, uh, the Supreme Court putting on its docket that uh, presidential immunity case that will take place uh, the week of April the 22nd. Hunter Biden uh, on Capitol Hill this week. Uh, testifying behind closed doors. Uh, And then next week at this time, Jack, we'll be talking about the State of the Union address because next Thursday night is President Biden's State of the Union address. uh, And it's really an opportunity to have a very large audience watching him as he campaigns for re-election. Yeah, a lot of eyes will be interesting. A lot going on all at once. John Decker, have a great week in our own White House correspondent. Thank Thank you, you, Jack. want to bring in... uh... One of the leading Democrats, state Senate, regular contributor, Senator on Friday, uh, Lou D'Alessandro, Greater Manchester, and, of course, coming up in a little bit, top of the 10 o'clock, Senate President Jeb Bradley, Republican. Good morning, Senator. Hey, good morning, Jack. Another beautiful morning, sun is shining and so forth. Uh, but, Jack, we got a real uh, situation here in New Hampshire, an Amber Alert yeah. uh, issued, and the uh, state police are on the case that... Uh, it, uh, a young, what, two children that were yep. taken by the, the father, and uh, he's on the run, and I guess considered dangerous, uh, very dangerous, and last seen in the Concord area. Yep, we're hitting that in the yep, uh, in our news. Yep. yep, on the license plates, we'll have that for you in a little bit. Um, Senator, I'm going to ask you a question just uh, more thematic than specific to the State House. There's some things I do not understand. And J Dog and I were just talking about this, and you're, you're in Concord a lot, but you're in Manchester a lot. And I still see, and especially this time of year, it's it's more visible and bothersome because of the cold temperatures. The number of homeless people uh, in, in New Hampshire, and New Hampshire is considered a pretty affluent, good quality of life state. And yet I see every day I out and about, I see more homeless people or signs of homeless people than I've seen probably ever. And it's not just in yeah. one community. Um, and, and, and we have all this attention politically. You know, the, the president yesterday, Trump, to the southern border, and the southern border is a crisis. More people care about that now. But we have all this concern and awareness on millions of people coming into this country seeking asylum. But we're not doing a very good job taking care of our own sometimes, whether it's mental health, addiction, you name it. I think you're right. You know, you make you make good points. You know, Jack, and, uh, I notice that the, the street corners are loaded with, with homeless people. Uh, as I go to Concord every day, you know, I drive through, drive through Manchester, and then I come to Concord, I make that turn. On, yeah. on Loudon Road, and, and I see the guy sitting on, on the sitting on the corner. Every morning he's there, and now I've seen a couple of others. Uh, I saw them taking some homeless people out of the, uh, the you know the area they were fixing up the the, uh, the railroad lights, so they took people out of there. I, I don't know what the story is. I, I really can't figure it out. But, you know, I, you look at at McDonald's and. And Dunkin' Donuts, the little signs up, sixteen dollars an hour to start. So there were plenty of jobs. Yeah, and I, I just don't understand. I, I can't understand that we got a low unemployment rate. Things should be good. 
Yeah, but you know, why, the, you and I, are, you and I know. But the problem is sometimes when people get into a spiral and they're down and out, um, it could be mental health issues where they just don't want to be true. around people in a confined setting. It could be they yes. just they just they can't socialize, or it could be addiction issues. They just can't get it together, and then and they do wind up literally homeless. Yeah, you're right. But you know, Jack, the, the thing that really bothers me is is people's expression of of hate. You know, it's like nobody likes anybody. Yeah. I can't I can't believe it. These sour faces all the time. Yeah, and that it, it's like people are spitting venom all the time. What's going on? Well, it's it part, it's a combination of a lot of things. It's a combination of social yes. media. It's easy to do and hide behind your tweets. Um, right. Part of it is political divisiveness. If you can't agree with someone or they don't see. And, you know, it's funny. I was talking about the National News, Senator Lou, and being a former news director. People should understand that in any news coverage of any network or any article, there is some degree of a human subjectivity into it because it's a human being that writes the article. This goes back to Ben Bradley with the Washington. I mean, it's just reality. Uh, New Hampshire Union leader years ago, um, you know, there, there are points of view and you hope the news is straight and you separate the political. But today, it's not just subjective. The news organizations are covering stories in a certain way that they think their listeners or viewers will like. They don't want to upset. They don't want to upset their listeners with real news or truthful news if it doesn't fit the narrative. So you put it all together and people are just so they think that if yeah. they feel a certain way, you don't have a right to have an opinion. Uh, you know, it's crazy. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Now you've got the right and the left in, yeah. in terms of, of the news. You've got to yeah. choose rather than, like, where's Walter Cronkite when we need him? Well, there was just a good story about the, Hey, I have to ask you, you, you wrote the book Lion of the Senate. You've covered, you've seen so many of the presidential yeah. candidates, presidents. Can you believe that after the last year or two, here we go again, um, four years ago, all those Democrats who ran, Joe Biden emerged in South Carolina, this time... They bypassed New Hampshire. He's going to be anointed and nominated again. Um, there's no question in my mind. And you have Donald Trump, the former president, Republican. He's just running away with this thing. And no one seems to be able to stop him in the Republican primaries with all the legal distractions. Seventy-five percent of people don't want this to be the, the choices. And here we go. There's no real third-party candidate. It's Biden and Trump right. again. Can, can you believe that? No, I, I be, to be honest with you, I can't believe the political the, the political environment that exists today. It's it is truly crazy. It is truly crazy, Jack. And uh, I don't know what's it's hard to figure things out. <clears throat> but uh, we just got to keep going. I mean, we need good information. Give them good information, Jack, as you always do. Keep people informed. Get them thinking. Get them caring. Yeah, and get them thinking about how they could help other people. And you do that all the time. But I think that's a, that's our way out of this. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. Well, anyway, what do you? A good weekend right. coming up? Yeah, I hope so. Hey, you and HBC tonight, big game, big hockey game at the at the Wit. So go go blue. Let's see if we can do it. BC, the number one hockey team in the nation, coming right. into the Winterbourne Center. It's always Whoa. fun to a college hockey game for a couple hours on yep. a Friday night. Nothing better than that. All right, thank you, Senator. Thank you, Jack. Stay happy, stay healthy, have a great, great, great American day, and keep the dream alive and well. Thank you, Jack. Kevin Landrigan, senior political reporter in New Hampshire and leader. Good Friday morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? I'm great, Jack. How are you doing? I'm actually getting, you know, kind of a Friday mindset, um, yep. which we need once in a while. All right, what's catching your eye locally, nationally? What's going on? Well, certainly this week um – 
has been school vacation week, right, for, at the state house. So these folks have finally been gone um, this past week. But um, this sort of the so it sort of has been the calm before the storm. They both return next week, and they both have a whole lot you know, on their plate mm-hmm. um, to deal with. You know, but um, I think most of the focus, as you've been talking about, has really been in Washington this week and in Texas, um, and. Um, and we're obviously going to be watching uh, Super Tuesday, you know. And I was struck really this past week, and we write about it a little this weekend, just how, um, and I know this will shock you, Jack, but that um, the Democratic-anointed states in the presidential primary had much lower voter turnouts than New Hampshire did. And we're talking, of course, of South Carolina and Michigan, both states, the president moved up to the front of the line because they were um, more representative, in quotes, than uh, New Hampshire. And um, <laughs> it's it's not even close. I mean, oh, I and, know, I know. And, and Kevin, and don't, remember, Kevin, don't let, don't let facts, don't let facts right? get in the way, Kevin. And, and remember, in both of those states, the president was on the ballot. And in this state, he was not. So if you're, I mean, anybody with a second grade education would tell you, would conclude Oh, there's going to be no turnout when the guy isn't on the ballot, and it's going to be much better turnout when he is. And he campaigned in both states, in person, in Michigan yeah. and in South Carolina. You know, and the same with South Carolina. I mean, presumably people talk about, and there's some credibility to it, I mean, Nikki Haley's last stand. I mean, this mm-hmm. is where she had to, mm-hmm. like, rock the world and really nail Donald Trump and the Republican primary turnout in South Carolina, not even close to yeah. the Republican primary turnout in New Hampshire. Yeah, but don't let a little tidbit like facts and actual voter percentage participation get in the way with the narrative that somehow New Hampshire is not representative. Don't want it get in the way of reality. I don't, but this border, I, I, this whole border issue, I just don't, I understand the president, um, you know, wants it to, not necessarily go away, but tamp down is a such a significant big issue. Um, but there aren't any signs that's going to happen soon. No, no, it's the opposite. The opposite. Yeah, more people exactly. are saying. More people yeah. are saying the southern border is a crisis yeah. and border security is a priority, and it's going to be. I think you saw a preview of the general presidential election yesterday in Texas with Biden and Trump trying to define the issue for their own. Po- and as I said in a video that kind of went viral on some of this stuff. You know, the the sad thing, Kevin, what drove both Biden and Trump to the border on the same day was politics and an election year and polling and nothing else. That's a sad thing. That's what drove them. Trump's been talking about it. He has a better, I think, more credibility in the issue, even if Democrats blame him for sort of tanking the border bill by pressuring Republicans not to vote for it. So he gets credit, not Biden. But the national media doesn't report what's in the bill. They don't tell you what Democrats are opposed to it. They don't tell you what the Biden administration has not done for three years, how many times they've sued the state of Texas, Department of Justice, for trying to take care of the problem. They don't They don't talk about uh, almost encouraging asylum seekers. They don't talk about uh, encouraging sanctuary cities, uh, don't cooperate, cooperate with ICE, and all of a sudden Biden cares about it because of polls. They, they, the Biden team sees that, oh, we better pay attention to this because of polls. Right, right, it's true. Certainly, and um, um, and uh, and their pivot because um, 
it's it's their card, right? Is reproductive rights. So, which is precisely why uh, the Biden team is all over this IVF issue in Alabama, and mm-hmm. they will pound that issue over the next weeks. Of course, no one in the national media talk about what Trump's statement was on this. You notice that? <laughs> yep. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, um, it's amazing. Um, yeah, but it's um, but that's certainly their um, their card. You know, they and and some and their wedge issue. Like, I mean, immigration obviously is a wedge issue, yeah. uh, and it's it's certainly trending for Republicans really well. And 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 Biden thinks abortion is their wedge issue that's going to trend really well for them. Well, it's worked well for Democrats here and nationally. Before I let you go, Kevin Landrigan, yep. uh, Quiet Week, Vacation Week, senior reporter, New Hampshire leader, Senator Bradley's coming up top of the ten. Wants to talk about legalizing, you know, the legalization process over marijuana. Uh, we've talked about it. He's a no vote on it, but um, we'll see where it goes. Any more thoughts now that this has sort of been behind the scenes a little bit? Passing the House, Governor Sununu was on the show earlier this week saying he does, he he will not sign the current House version. He would sign a bill if it had what he wants in it, and he said he's told sponsors what that is. Fewer locations, doesn't think that you can have that many selling it. You can't lobby the state if you're involved. Kind of the state liquor commission control over this. But any any thoughts on where this goes in the Senate? Yeah, I, um, and I thought um, I thought the governor's statement sort of um, helped frame the issue pretty well. Um, uh, the Senate has always been the graveyard for this issue, and right now it looks like it, it it may be again. I mean, I you know I think there's still a chance um, something passes the Senate, but I think it's more. Uh, about a little bit about what we talked about, you know, which is if this governor goes to this group of Senate, state senators and says, here's my amendment, put this thing on the Senate floor, pass it, I will sign it, then um, this thing might really have some legs. But, um, you know, at the same time, I'm not in the habit of betting against Jeb Bradley in the state mm-hmm. Senate. I mean, yeah. my experience has been even before long before he was Senate president. I mean, um, he, um, he not only counts very well, he's um, – when it, whatever issue he's working on, he knows um, where he's weak, he knows where he's strong, and, uh, and usually improves his position by the time there's a vote. And so um, – and as you can tell – um, maybe this governor is not like hot to trot on this issue, like it's hugely important to him. But Bradley appears to be, you know, pretty motivated, and um, and that's why I say I, if I'm a supporter of this bill, that would concern me a lot, you know, um, that it's not only got his attention, but um, yeah. he's going to lean in on it. So, yeah. um, and well, it's, and and again. The most important thing about this entire discussion is it's an election year. Yeah. As we just talked about with immigration, abortion, whatever the issue is, and the way politics are today, it's an election year. Translation, nothing's likely to happen, right? Because in an election year, everybody's cautious, nervous, yeah. looking over their shoulder, wondering, oh, is this vote going to hurt me? You know, who's, who's going to primary me if I vote to legalize pot? In my Senate district, you know, all those yep. things come into play now. 
All right. Listen, you have a great weekend. I know it'll be busier as we get going. Kevin Landry, New Hampshire leader, make it a good weekend. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Jack. Take care. Senate President Jeb Bradley, a little bit earlier this morning, Republican. We just had Senator D'Alessandro on, leading Democrat. Good morning, Senator. Hey, good morning, Jack. How are you? I'm all right. Um, we were just talking with Kevin Landrigan, who sang or gave some praises to you, a senior political reporter, New Hampshire leader, about the attempt to legalize marijuana for recreational use um, and the process here. And you and I, we talked about it last week. You're a no vote. So is Senator D'Alessandro. Governor Sununu said on the show earlier this week when I asked him Tuesday morning, he doesn't like the current House bill for a couple of reasons. He's told sponsors what he would sign. He wouldn't sign the current bill that passed the House it's, that eventually will get through the House stuff into the Senate. It's a big issue to a lot of people in terms of something that the public is in favor of, but their concerns. It's Kevin thinks it might die in the Senate, if you will, before it reaches the governor's desk. What do you think at this point? Any more knowledge or is it too early to tell? Yeah, I, I still think, Jack, it's too early to tell. I mean, first of all, it has to be voted on again by the full House after it goes, I believe, to the House Finance Committee, and then it'll come to us. Um, you know, I think the governor has made his position really clear that it should be 15 franchise stores under the State Liquor Commission. Obviously, the House version is expansive beyond that. Um, then there are some law enforcement issues that people like myself who don't support it, but at least if it's going to pass, want to see incorporated into the bill. There should be a penalty, in my opinion, for public consumption. You shouldn't have to walk down the street of Manchester or any other town in New Hampshire and breathe secondhand marijuana smoke. And, and I think, you know, unless there's a penalty, you're going to see that happening all the time. Um, a THC limit makes sense to me. Oversight for health purposes of the rulemaking process by the State Liquor Commission, that makes sense to me. So, you know, I've, I've said to everybody that I'm a no vote, and I think, you know, the medical evidence just gets more compelling. There was just a study released the other day by CBS News about you know, the impact of um, not just smoking marijuana, but edibles um, on stroke and, and heart disease. So that being said, I can count um, if there are 13 votes in the Senate out of 24, it's going to pass. Um, I, I want to make sure the process is open and transparent, that, um, you know, folks who, <clears throat> like myself, may be opposed to it can introduce amendments to at least make it much more acceptable in New Hampshire from a public safety and public health perspective. So we'll see what happens. Um, but, again, hasn't even gotten to us yet. Interesting. Senator, what do you, what's your um, – uh, I just want to get your take on, you know, we had President Biden and uh, Donald Trump both on the border yesterday. Obviously, polling shows – immigration, illegal immigration, the southern border, much more critical issues to voters. I think that's one reason. I think, sadly, it's it's polls and politics that brought both Trump and Biden to the border on the same day. But that aside, what's your take here at home on um, the cost of uh, those folks who are coming to this country, um, technically, whether it's for asylum or not, illegally? Uh, we have seen cases in New Hampshire where ICE has picked up um, violent offenders, criminal, you know, multiple serial killers who've been here in New Hampshire, 
uh, illegally. So what's your what's your thoughts on this issue locally and how we're doing? What are your concerns? So, I, I mean, the states that are having the biggest problem, you know, obviously California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas because they are on the southern border. Um, but other states that have adopted sanctuary policies that um, preclude local authorities from cooperating with Customs and Border Patrol or ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, you know, to um, place criminals under restraint of federal authorities. So that's been a huge problem. And right. other states that are sanctuary states have, you know, they've had um, schools and recreation centers and even Logan Airport. People, you know, with no other place to go, sleeping in these you know, places because we're being overrun by, you know, this influx of illegal aliens. And, you know, whether it's 8 million or 10 million, whatever the number is under the Biden administration, it is willful that they changed, Biden changed the Trump policies that, you know, remain in Mexico or um, catch and release. And so we've had an invasion and, it's got to stop. And Joe Biden, I mean, he went to the border yesterday, but it looked like, from what I saw, more photo ops than any real <laughs> substantive um, proposals. And blame Trump. Hey, very quickly, though, you just used the term illegal alien or illegal immigrant. That, that's a little bit that's a little non-inclusive, Senator. I'm just I just got to pull you off that ledge. That's a little bit non-inclusive. You just they, the, the, the popular the popular term today is newcomers or migrants. You know, do you notice, by the way, just the nomenclature in this philosophy I don't get sanctuary cities. I've talked about the case in Boston. I don't know why there's not more coverage in New England. A judge in Dorchester District Court released an illegal immigrant, alien migrant from Haiti who raped a development, developmentally disabled woman last year, released him without bail because he didn't want to comply with ICE who was coming to pick him up and deport him given his history for rape. I don't get and understand that at all, never will, but I just, I just have to chuckle. When at first, you know, years ago when we had this problem before the caravans and thousands of migrants coming on any one week or two to El Paso or wherever on the border, used to be illegal alien. That was like years ago. That was the term that everyone used, national media. And then it became illegal immigrant. And then folks didn't like that. And then it became, you know, one other migration. It might have been a, a legal migrant. Now it's just migrant. And the latest term I've heard from the folks who kind of like a lot of the sanctuary stuff is Newcomers, welcome. Why don't we just call folks what what it is? I mean, if you and I, if you and I, attack two police officers in New York City and we were arrested, do you think the judge is going to release us as American taxpayers, or do you think we're going to be wind up in Rikers? We're going to wind up in Rikers. Yeah, look at what happened um, in Georgia. Yeah, with a nursing student slain by uh, uh, an illegal alien from Venezuela that had been released with no bail in New York. I mean, because of what we're ridiculous. seeing. ridiculous. I know. And, but what, and it, I agree you with know, you. So, I mean, people are going to, this is going to be front and center issue do you, do you in know, November. And, and that terrible Joe case Biden of. can't get out of his way on it. Yeah, t- that terrible case of Lake and Riley. I've been talking extensively since last Thursday about that because she was such a promising, wonderful young person, Dean's List, nursing student, going in to help and contribute and help others. Family loved her. Faith was important to her. And CNN Associated Press, the stories did not even mention 
that her murder suspect broke into this country through El Paso from Venezuela and has a criminal history and had been arrested and released in New York City. The person who raped and assaulted her physically in every which way, disfigured her skull. I mean, the poor family, they don't even mention his illegal status. Why? Uh, it's disgusting. That's all I, I can say. Yeah, I don't get it's it. Disgusting. It's part of the story. I don't it's germane get it to the investigation. You know, and, and like when we talk next Friday, Jack, it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the New Hampshire Senate the day before. Okay, on Thursday next week, mm-hmm. we are going to debate a couple of immigration-related bills, and I suspect they will be very partisan. There'll be long debates. Um, pay attention. Bill Gannon's bill. Um, would end sanctuary policies in New Hampshire. The state would say to a town, you cannot have sanctuary policies. Do, do we, we have, have such policies now? Do we, do we have such policies, Senator? Yeah, I, I, I think Hanover, Lebanon, and to a lesser extent, a couple of other towns. Okay? Sanctuary policies are what is causing the problems in New York City, in Chicago, in Boston, and around the country. I where, imagine, yeah, and I don't imagine. blame Governor Abbott. You know, yep. you can't have you can't be in Texas and have millions and millions of people and expect, you know, the good state of Texas and, to um, house them and feed them and take care of them. He's sending them to sanctuary city. And, and you know I, what? I get that. And, we cannot and, have that in New Hampshire. And President Biden in his inaugural address, because I actually listened and remember it and I wrote it down. He said we need to stop the name calling in this country and have adult leadership. He calls Governor Abbott Neanderthal. Yeah, exactly. Neanderthals. Uh, it's Joe Biden who is, you know, <laughs> just caused this invasion. And that's why it's a 70-30 or 80-20 issue. Yep. The public is sick of it. Well, I wonder. So next week, let's talk about yeah, we you know, what happened in the New Hampshire Senate the previous day, uh, because I suspect it's going to be two fourteen ten votes. The second bill would allow local law enforcement on the northern border to be able to arrest people for trespassing um, – <laughs> You know, across somebody's land. Well, let's so let's maybe get you on. Let's get you on, and maybe that sponsor on Wednesday show before Thursday. Now, I'll make a note next Wednesday. Do a quick preview and, a, and then a follow up on Friday. All right, I'm happy to uh, accommodate and, that on Wednesday. And imagine in the gubernatorial race, whoever the nominees are, this this sanctuary policy philosophy will be an issue as well. Well, neither um, Councilor Warmington or Mayor Craig have even answered press questions on, you know, whether New Hampshire should end sanctuary policies. I mean, so they're just avoiding the issue. You cannot avoid the issue when yeah. the costs are so high, yeah. the crime rate has, um, you know, gone through the roof. Legal immigration, we should encourage well, that. Illegal immigration, we need to take a stand if, against it. Well, if you listen to Representative Ocasio-Cortez, it's more important to her to take care of illegal migrants than than American citizens. So there you go. All right, thank you, yeah, Senator. Yeah, and throw Amazon out of her district. You know, 20,000-plus jobs, as I recall. Um, you know, that's where she's coming from. <laughs> and, she, and, she gets re- and she gets reelected. It's unbelievable. And she gets reelected. I know. Unbelievable. Uh, all right, have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Good morning, New Hampshire. Powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. All right, welcome back. I'm really 
psyched on this topic. I love all of Aaron Rial's topics each day, NBC News national correspondent joining us. Well, she makes us think whether it's employment numbers, best states to live in, cryptocurrency. I talked about it the other day with one of our experts and yesterday with Dr. Vic. Not just rising, soaring. Bitcoin up to the other day, 62000 for a high. A lot of other Bitcoins, uh, I'm sorry, cryptocurrency is driving up. And a lot of people are scratching their heads going, Geez, I didn't. I thought that was kind of dormant for a while. What's going on? Is it something to look at? Take it away, Aaron. Yes, going through the roof, and and it was dormant for a while. But cryptocurrency, we've hear volatility, and and it's true. But it's up at the moment. Wednesday, Bitcoin surged above sixty four thousand at one point. It, it pulled back. It's now floating around sixty two. Ether, its little brother, that advanced more than 4% to 3,400. It, it, Bitcoin's up 47% for the month. Ether up 51%. They're both heading for six straight months in a row of gains. There's two reasons for this, Jack. One, Bitcoin supply and demand dynamics. Number one, there's a lot of new ETFs, exchange-traded funds. These are regulated by the SEC, and the upcoming Bitcoin halving is the other reason. So number one, We've seen over $2 billion coming into the various Bitcoin ETFs, so there's been this need to access more supply of Bitcoin to build these ETFs. That ends up driving up the price um, in the near term. And then the halving. So halving is a mandate in the Bitcoin code. It basically cuts the rewards of mining Bitcoin in half. That reduces the supply. It does this every couple of years. It creates scarcity, supply, and demand. The next one is expected to happen in April, which is why they also think it's it's spiking right now. Aaron, what I look at, too, to tell me why I think this is a trend that you might want to not ignore, and it's like any investment. If you can afford to lose, you know, you gotta, you got to – I'm not a big stock person, but there are people that, you know, do this all the time. But you look at the number of major, like, financial planners, retirement firms and all that, and, and how now they have certain, you know, crypto advisors. It's part of a portfolio. It's being much more accepted, plus all the push for technology – why would global technology and the digital, you know, really digital fiat or this new currency, uh, whether it's Bitcoin or other ones, Ethereum, why would it go away? So I, I think it's something there. I just don't know, you know, how it fits in with other strategies. But I know one thing, if the amount you put in goes up and it grows, most people are going to like it and be attracted to it. If it doesn't go up or doesn't grow, people will not, not look at it. Exactly. And and listen, it, who knows where this will go, but having a diverse portfolio is good. And I think it, we're at the point where if it comes online and is regulated properly, there's no denying it at this point. It's it's here. Yeah. Are you, uh, do you have any crypto, like a Coinbase? Do you, are you or your family? Do you, or no, no. Yes, I, I, I don't have a lot and I, I would absolutely not put the kids college fund in it, but I think it is a part of every diverse portfolio. Yes. I think it's important. Well, you know what, to me, it's a, I think it's a fun hobby because I don't do, as I said before, and if it was with you, Aaron Rial, we seen his radio national correspondent. I don't do like DraftKings. I don't bet on uh-huh. sporting events, um, but right. I do. I do with my, you know, my coin or whatever the account. I do look at. I kept some, and I, I just kind of look. You read. It's fun to do if you're just sitting there and you have some time. Read about the analytics. Look at it. You know, they have crypto now tied to AI. Um, look at the Bitcoin story, and you know you, you're moving around. It's fun to look at, and just keep it there, and you know out of sight, out of mind. So I think it is kind of a fun. To me, it's almost like a hobby. Jack, I feel like you are a crypto. You're there. You're there all the way. <laughs> well, no, I you know I told I shared with someone a number of years ago during all the COVID craziness. I was in a Concord uh, Capital region getting a lunch or a takeout, 
and there was a bunch of it was college vacation time. No, it must have been before or after that, but it was when crypto was booming, and and uh, these college kids were home and they were just all talking about their crypto holdings. They, that was their oh. coffee. That was their coffee discussion. You know, they were talking about their crypto accounts because one guy says, you know, my my crypto's up to thirty thousand dollars in my own crypto account, and they're college students. And they were just loving it, and then it sort of died down, and now it seems to be just sort of leveling out. Oh, I said, I mean, listen, this is what it is. We're getting to a different place. And the fact that it's coming online and it's accepted on an institutional level, that really does change everything. And, and I'm looking at the acceptance, not just the NVIDIA and the booming, you know, the tr- you know, what a growth there on the chips for AI. But if you look at the AI and the blockchain stuff, a lot of that is tied to some of the original crypto thinking that, you know, you can do digital transactions globally on this blockchain. You know, it's secure. And you look at it and, you know, you look at how banks and if you wire money and you almost have to say that that blockchain thing and AI, it's not going away. Absolutely not. I agree with you 1,000% on this. All right, Aaron. Have a great weekend. You too. Rory O'Neill, MBC News Radio National Correspondent, talking about Donald Trump trying to come up with the money. Can he and will he and how will he? Take it away, Rory. Yeah, and that's a $100 million bond, by the way, that they tried to put up, but the judge rejected that. However, that's under appeal as well, because the way it works, as you laid out, even with you get that big judgment, if you appeal it, you still have to pay up. Uh, and that's what the court is seeking now, the $464 million. The Trump legal team says, how about $100 million? Because he's not that liquid. And if he has to sell something, I'm making this up, but if he were to have to sell Mar-a-Lago... Uh, and then later wins the case, well, now they say the Trump organization will have go- undergone permanent damage because it had to sell off that asset. But keep in mind, less than a year ago, under oath, in a deposition, Donald Trump volunteered and said he had, quote, substantially in excess of $400 million in cash. So the lawyers are now arguing something different from what the president said less than a year ago. Well, you know, there's another reality here. Forget politics for a minute, Rory, but it's hard to. That if you remember Steve Forbes before he sold Forbes Media and he had been on my show a number of years ago when Trump was running, I'm talking about the first time in 2016, Mm -hmm. and he was claiming it was worth like six or eight billion dollars. And Steve Forbes, who considers himself kind of a friend of both New York City and New Trump, saying he's he's not really worth that. But there's always been questions of how much liquidity, how much Trump is worth. But he's a private business person which, by the way, makes that New York case such a joke because he's not a publicly traded company. But the question is, these legal fees from these cases, the legal fees alone are right. getting up near $100 million, just the legal fees. And he's got PACs, and he's able to raise money and use those PACs to pay those fees. And the question is, how much does he really have on hand? And I don't know if anyone knows. Well, right. And then, you know, the Trump name, some argue, increases the value of properties. Others said it detracts them from the value of properties. I guess it will be depending. But uh, it's all pretty fluid. And then with these interest rates being what they are, you know, who can suddenly float 100, 200, 300 million dollars to buy some of these properties as well? And you've got the AG, Letitia James, trolling him on X, posting, what, $114,000 daily interest charge reminders uh, to the former president. Isn't it nice? Isn't it funny how she can do that? But he's banned from, I think, doing anything towards her. It's just interesting. All right. Thank you, Rory. Thanks, Jack. Tom Raphael, president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental, does so much on the good news community side of things, everything from saving road races to helping veterans, author of the book, Stories on the Starting Line, host 
of Northeast Delta Dental Radio. Good morning, Tom, with some good news. Good morning. Well, well, let's start with the radio. So this weekend I have Kissy Frazier on, who's the executive director of the Kismet Rock Foundation, which has really uh, transformed so many young students and people that have had different you know, challenges. So I want people to listen and perhaps um, Where donate. are they out of? They're at, they're at really, they're at Mount Washington Valley. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, they, the Mount Washington Observatory, and uh, they are, uh, their phone number, if anybody's interested, is 730-2715, Kismic Rock Foundation, and uh, you will really enjoy listening to uh, Christy Frazier. On the book front, um, the new chapter is out there. It's in Gibson's. It's in the bookery. It's in Amazon. So we we added 30 more runners uh, wow. into the book, Chapter 12. So it's a, a new edition. It's going well. All funds raised um, go to the Tom Walton Scholarship Fund or Oral Health for Veterans. And on that topic, Jack, I want to give you a shout-out because the, the the rubric of the seven ways that veterans can get dental care, and if, if you can't get at the VA or Medicaid, then call me directly at 223-1300. We've established that same chart now in uh, Vermont and Maine, so uh, as Northeast Delta Dental actually is all three of those states. So veterans out there, if you're having trouble, if you know, just give me a call at 223-1300, and you definitely will hear from from Dr. Mitch. And then on the racing front, two things going on tomorrow at 11, uh, right here at NHCI. Um, there is a fundraiser for the NHCI uh, cross-country. And then on Sunday, um, your old neck of the woods, we have the Hampton Half and Marathon, and that will be at Hampton Beach starting at uh, at, at 10 a.m. So that's my good news, and I'm sticking with it. And, again, veterans, give me a call at 223-1300 if you're having trouble with your oral health care. Awesome, Tom. Thank you for everything, everything, everything you do. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.